Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. surveying a range of headlines on this Monday morning, November the 30th, I just really want to lead the headlines with the reality that the season of Advent is now upon us. It is time to intentionally prepare ourselves, have an intentional season of preparation for the coming of God in the person of Jesus Christ, for the incarnation, for what we celebrate at Christmas. And so let me encourage you, if you have not done so already, like it's time to intentionally plan for how you are going to prepare to receive the Christ child. If you just thought for a moment that a baby was actually going to arrive at your house, a baby, an actual baby, a real human baby is going to arrive at your house on December the 25th, what would you do in anticipation of the arrival of that child? There are lots of things that you would do. Well, all of us are going to receive an actual living person, Jesus Christ, God incarnate, God in the flesh. On December the 25th, he's going to arrive. And you say to yourself, you know, this is not new news. Like, this has been news for 2,000 Decembers. More than that, 2,020-ish Decembers now. Uh, Yes, But we receive Christ anew every year. We celebrate the coming uh, of God in the person of Jesus Christ. We recognize that were it not for the incarnation, were it not for the birth of Jesus, there would be no opportunity for the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus or his ascension into heaven. And so Easter is dependent on Christmas. And this is the season during Advent when we prepare our hearts to receive him anew. So uh, Paul reminded me as we joined one another this morning that uh, this is the season of tidings of comfort and joy. And so let me encourage you to be filling your home and your car and your uh, playlist with songs that remind you of the reality of the one who comes. The tidings of comfort and joy come from God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. So let's just remember what that song is about. Remember, Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. God rest you, merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember, Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. Um, It's an opportunity for us to remember just how much God loves us. Advent is here. I want to invite you to join us in reading the Gospel of Luke during the season of Advent. If you haven't signed up already, please do so at MyFaithRadio.com. Join us in this uh, devotional lead-up to the reading of the Gospel of Luke in this Christmas season. All right, next up, I've got Dr. Zach Jenkins. We have a range of COVID headlines uh, to cover. 
Lots of updates for you on the coronavirus front. That next, here on Mornings with Carmen. It's good to have you back again. Oh, hey, Joining me now, Dr. Zach Jenkins from Cedarville University. You can follow him on Twitter at FarmDHiker. Zach, welcome back. Good morning. Good morning. All right, so my COVID update headline list is really, really long. Uh, <laughs> hospitalizations, um, capacity concerns, people having to travel to find beds, workforce shortages, um, but vaccines right on the horizon. A conversation I had with an ER doctor um, at my church yesterday. I mean, he is very, very hopeful that after the COVID unit at his hospital is vaccinated, um, he expects to be, you know, sort of in that next group of uh, vaccinated individuals. And he thinks it's going to happen within the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I actually think that there's a, a lot of evidence to point towards seeing things distributed that way. We did just see the first vaccine ship, I think, yesterday. So they arrived at O'Hare in Chicago, and they're going to be distributed to states from that point on. Um, but that vaccine that's being distributed is the Pfizer one that requires all the deep cold storage, which is going to make kind of, I guess, uh, centralizing it for distribution a little bit more challenging. Right. I mean, it's going to it's I mean, we've talked about this, the challenge of distribution of this particular vaccine. But, you know, I mean, I think we're up to it. Um, I don't I don't doubt that. Um, Talk with us a little bit about infection rates, hospitalizations, what you're observing in terms of what's going on uh, across the country. Well, at least uh, pre-Thanksgiving, we were definitely trending up. And I think that's going to be the story for the the remainder of the season here. But probably the more telling thing that we're going to keep that we're really going to have to pay attention to over the next couple of weeks is really what impacted Thanksgiving and a lot of our gatherings have on things. So you'll probably see about one to two weeks go by before you see a sudden spike in total cases. And then with that, maybe a week later, you might see a big spike in hospitalizations and then potentially uh, fatalities from COVID as well. Okay, let's talk a little bit um, about uh, the recommendations related to quarantining. It sounds like the CDC might actually suggest that we don't have to quarantine for quite as long. What What are you learning there? So, so this is actually a really important move that they may be making here. So, the, the discussion right now is basically going from a 14 day quarantine from the date of your last exposure to a period of maybe seven to 10 days, somewhere in that range, where you could exit if you had a negative test in that time period. So so the, the really powerful thing I think that we'll do for people if we had that direction is people be freed up to, to kind of get on with their lives and not be quarantined quite as long. There's some great data that came out of Iceland, which is a very uh, homogenous country. They have a lot of people there. In, in, in one concentrated area, and, and their data really showed that with quarantines, maybe about a week or so with a negative test was enough to get people out of quarantine. Um, so you avoid those situations where family member after family member all of a sudden has to, to quarantine for like two weeks. And if someone was sick, all, all of a sudden you're looking at a month of people being at home. All right. Um, wait a second. Go go back to a month of people being at home. <laughs> well, I'll give Wait. you an example. So, yeah, okay, because I'm I, you so, lost me there at the end. 
Yeah, so so my brother-in-law, uh, he actually is a nurse anesthetist, passed out in the operating room uh, with COVID while he was working on a patient. Um, ends up infecting his whole family then, but they all were kind of infected in different intervals because he had isolated himself. So we have uh, some period, some people that are basically ending a little bit later on. So it's it would have been about, I think, three weeks total for some family members being locked away. Oh, I see. Because of when they might have been exposed. And so it's the date of that individual's exposure. And then we got to add the two weeks onto that. I, I get it. Exactly. Yeah, it, exactly. It's a long period of time. Um, so we're hearing all kinds of reports. I know that we're hearing them here in um, in Middle Tennessee, where I live. People are traveling from Arkansas and Virginia to the COVID unit at Vanderbilt. And um, and and Vanderbilt, which, I mean, it's a big regional hospital, but it's still, you know, like our community hospital as well. Talk with us a little bit about um, what you're seeing and what you're hearing and from your colleagues as well, because the the uh, the workforce shortage in terms of people who are going to be able to care for um, a rising population of of hospitalized individuals related to COVID. I mean, nationwide, we're going to have a shortage of doctors and nurses and respiratory therapists and on and on and on. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so th- this is a really, really uh, big challenge area right now. We've talked about some of the, the strains that this has put on healthcare systems um, because it's hit the country at different intervals and finances have been impacted as a result. So there are some places that are a little bit less staffed as a result of that. And the other thing to kind of add on to that is the increased workload requirements of just having more patients. Um, so, so what we're seeing in in some locations, uh, you know, I'll give you an example from Northeast. So I have a colleague up there. They have had their total number of COVID positive cases triple in the past two weeks. Their ICU beds that are occupied be, by people that have been admitted because of COVID have also tripled. And so what that does is you start to fill some of those beds up, all of a sudden you're displacing other patients and you have people that have very serious conditions that are being put all over the hospital, which requires a lot of work. And so we're seeing more of that. And that's going to be a theme that will continue to happen, I think, for the next several weeks. Um, It's going to be putting a lot of strain on our healthcare workers. Yeah, so folks who want to check out what's happening um, kind of across the country related to this, like all you have to do is Google something like hospitalizations and and, and the letters ICU, um, and you'll see all kinds of resources populate um, that you could click on and you could actually see, okay, what are the hospitalizations state by state? Um, or what are the key metrics on hospitalizations um, in a particular state or even in a particular county? So I did this this morning. And found out that in my county, we have had a total of 247 COVID cases. Now, keep in mind, we a small rural county. Um, but, you know, I was I, I was kind of encouraged to read that because I do, you know, you read these incredibly um, dire numbers from across the country. And it's really important to know what's going on right where you live. And it's really important to um, protect yourself and your family and your neighbors um, from the spread. And so uh, a lot a lot more conversation where I live, Zach, about um, uh, what's happening in, you know, like not only our immediate community, but who is traveling into or through our little community, um, you know, like who, who had big gatherings on Thanksgiving? Okay, well, maybe that's not a family that we want to spend a lot of time with in the next few days. Like, right? Like, let's let, let's see what happens. Let, let, 
allow things to work through the system um, and just be maybe more vigilant, um, particularly in these next couple of weeks following Thanksgiving when many people did gather, um, you know, over the holiday weekend. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's I think it's good that you're you're bringing up the fact that people can dig up some of this data. Um, the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, which is based out of Washington, they have a lot of projections and modeling that you can also look at. But they do track um, a lot of the total numbers being reported by states. So, for example, in Ohio, I can go and look and see that that we have maybe about 1,240 ICU beds in the state, and we're probably in a couple of weeks going to be exceeding that based on the, on the current projections. So it, it, it's really important, I think, to kind of contextualize what, what all this information is. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Hey, Zach, let's, um, let's talk a little bit more about the vaccine and anticipated side effects. I've never experienced a side effect from a vaccine, but I know some people have. What kinds of side effects might people experience from the COVID vaccine? So I, I'm in that same boat too. I haven't really had too many issues with vaccines myself, but with with the COVID vaccine, what what they're really talking about is, it if you have a reaction, the way it would probably look it is something akin to mild symptoms from an infection. So it might look like, for example, uh, chills for like a day or something along those lines. Uh, maybe you might run a fever very briefly. We've seen these with other kinds of vaccines before. Um, the flu vaccine typically is is more mild, so we don't see those things quite as often. Um, but but when you have things like chills and fever, it may actually make people concerned that they're infected. The, mm. the truth is you're not really infected at that point. It's just a normal immune response. And right after that, that period where, where it kind of pops in, it, it won't last long. It'll fade off and your immunity will start to build up. So, so that's that's a normal thing we expect. What's being reported right now with the with any of these vaccines is the incidence is pretty low as far as we can tell. Um, although it looks like it's it's lower with Moderna and Pfizer than the AstraZeneca one that's in development. All right, and then let's talk about uh, the positive uh, effects of exercise and boosting the immune system. It seems like um, during the holidays, this is a good time to talk about increased exercise anyway. I don't know about you. I have some, I'm, I might have, I might have some pie calories that need to be uh, burned <laughs> off in addition to, uh, you know, my normal caloric intake. Talk a little bit about the, you know, the, the, positive impact of just exercise in general, but also what you guys are learning about uh, boosting the immune system. So we've actually known for quite a while that exercise can boost the immune system. I mean, any kind of exercise can. Really what you're doing is you're mobilizing a lot of your white blood cells and, and other things that will typically respond to viruses, bacteria, et cetera, that can enter into your body. And so when you have more stuff moving around, ideally it's going to identify those substances and then mount an immune response more quickly. So so that's at least kind of the working theory behind this. But really as far as what we would recommend, um, for, for most people it's a minimum of about 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous activity per week. Or you can do 90 minutes of very vigorous activity is usually what we say. Um, the thought there is that it, it really helps to boost your um, heart function, your, your your respiratory function, all those types of things, which if you think about a lot of infections are, are greatly impacted by. So so 
if you have those those things kind of be built up over time, ideally your response is going to be a little bit better in the setting of uh, different infections. That includes COVID. Now, the frustrating thing that, to kind of correlate with all that is the fact that a lot of our gyms are closed. Yeah, but I don't know about you. I'm seeing a real, like, uh, a lot of emphasis placed on home, exercising at home, mm -hmm. um, you know, accessing programs that are available through streaming or online where, you know, you can do, you could do a yoga routine. You could do a, a workout routine um, right there in your, you know, set up your laptop and, you know, have an instructor right there uh, available to you. Um, and we want people to be careful when they're doing that, but um, there's all kinds of resources available. Yeah, and I'll add, too, if you want to get some home exercise equipment, order now because there is quite a backlog in people waiting to get things still. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and it's Cyber Monday, so probably. Uh -huh. Okay, so there you go. let's have a giving. Let's have a quick. Uh, let's see. Let's have a quick Dr. Zach um, Thanksgiving review and Giving Tuesday preview. So what was your favorite side dish um, on Thanksgiving? And if you were going to participate in Giving Tuesday, uh, what's your, you know, heart heart charity out there? Um, so, so I, I would say that, uh, for, for me, mine, mine is usually like dressing or mm -hmm. stuffing, depending on what, what realm you hail from. Yes. Mm -hmm. so dressing or stuffing is definitely my favorite. Um, but then as far as charity, I, I really uh, like a charity called Mana Worldwide. Um, they, they are a missions group that does a lot of service, um, to a lot of third world countries. They have a lot of feeding centers. They do some medical missions as well. Um, but but they do really solid work, and so that would be my my charity of choice. All right, Mana, like Mana from Heaven, Mana Worldwide. Nice, Zach. As always, thanks so much um, for joining us. Uh, I anticipate we will have. Um, oh, hey, next Monday, by the way, um, we are going to be doing our uh, just a couple of days of what we call our year end. I don't know. We used to call it Gap. But now we're just calling it like cap it off because we're going to give away cool hats this year. So anyway, we're capping off our year of giving um, at Faith Radio. So I don't think I'm talking with you on the radio next Monday, but I'll talk to you in two weeks. How's that sound? All right. Sounds good. All right. So save up all the COVID headlines. I'm sure there will only be a handful. Oh, just a handful. <sighs> yeah. Thanks, man. We'll talk to you soon. No problem. That's Dr. Zach Jenkins from Cedarville University. You can find him on Twitter at FarmDHiker. We'll be right back. All right. Joining me next is Adam Carrington. He and I are going to talk about um, an action by the Supreme Court of the United States halting New York Governor Cuomo's church restrictions, which sought to, well, I guess they weren't just church restrictions, all religious institutions, um, which sought to limit the number of people who could gather for worship while similar limits were not placed on other gatherings um, or people gathering for other reasons. So you can't single out religious people and uh, and treat them in this way. And the Supreme Court basically said so. You can't do that. You can't do that that way. Um, we're going to discuss that ruling. We're going to discuss some other political headlines as well. Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College is up next.
so tomorrow is Giving Tuesday. What are you going to give to? Or what are you going to give away? Well, we're inviting you into something actually that is an entire season, not just a day. We're calling it the Great Giveaway. We're inviting you to um, participate in what we're just describing as acts of kindness. I want you to think about how one very simple act of kindness can impact not only an individual, but have a ripple effect into a family or a community or a neighborhood. And so we're inviting you to join Faith Radio for the 2020 Great Giveaway. We're encouraging you to step out in faith, participate in, it says random acts of kindness. I'm going to say intentional acts of kindness throughout the entire month. You just go to MyFaithRadio.com. You opt in to the Great Giveaway, and we're going to send you a free set of notes that you can include with your acts of kindness So just go to MyFaithRadio.com. You're looking for the great giveaway. Opt in, and we're going to help you have a great month of giving away through simple acts of kindness to others. All right, join us, MyFaithRadio.com. We'll be right back. My friend, Dr. John Trent, has devoted his life to helping moms and dads bless their children. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. You may hear the word bless and wonder what the point is. After all, you might say, my kids know that I love them. I don't doubt that deep down that they know you're on their side. But along with John Trent, I agree that speaking your love to them is a big deal. Write down what you appreciate about your kids, the gifts you see in them and how you love them. Then read it aloud at a family event. That'll certainly get you out of your comfort zone, but it'll leave a lasting impression on your kids. Don't think about your love. Say it. Mom, Dad, are your tried and true parenting methods not as effective as they used to be? Parenting expert Mark Gregston is here to help. For a list of Mark's upcoming events and seminars, visit ParentingTodaysTeens.org. Joining me now, Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College, tweets at Carrington AM. Is that right? Do I have that right? Because I might have just made that up. Adam, welcome back. That sounds right to me, so thank you. All right, at at Carrington AM. All right, um, Supreme Court ruling uh, raised a number of, um, well, hackles from some people, uh, but Shouts of joy and exclamations of praise from others in the state of New York. Tell people what happened and what the response to it has been. And within hours of Thanksgiving Day, this actually came down. <laughs> right. So, uh, so the, the the people that won were very thankful. And this is the latest case where you have state restrictions on a lot of places, but that these places included religious worship, uh, 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 you know, churches. In this case, a Catholic church and a Jewish synagogue. And those institutions sued, saying the restrictions on their worship gatherings violated the free exercise clause in the First Amendment. In previous times, the court so far has gone against such claims. They've said we're not going to uh, we're, we're, we're going to say that basically this is this is okay under the pandemic, and it's not different from how you're treating other places. The change this time was that they won, and it seems like the main difference was the addition of Amy Coney Barrett. And what all they've really done is said, 
the lower courts are going to decide whether these religious groups were treated fairly compared to other places around New York. But until they decide that, uh, the governor is not allowed to enforce this order against limitations on on their worship. And, and it makes sense because uh, it, it's a little strange what other places were given different rules for how many people they could let in, for what the limits were. So liquor stores, places for acupuncture actually had less restrictions than houses of worship. And I think what this win for these religious groups portends for the future is that you really have a strong majority now with Barrett on the court for policing COVID regulations of churches and other religious groups much stricter and for making sure that at least when you put restrictions on how people can gather that religious groups are going to get an equal share. I think some of the justices that wrote were even saying that if you're going to say that some of these other workers are essential, we don't have much more of an essential worker or essential gathering than than those that are worshiping God. So it's going to be interesting, but this this seems like news that says religious liberty is going to get a, a lot more protection going forward than it's even gotten to this point. Okay, which points us to the 5-4 majority uh, on the Supreme Court, Ben Rhodes, who is a former communications staffer for President Obama, and I just recognize is now uh, working for um, an advocacy, uh, a political advocacy group that would be what I would describe as pretty extreme progressive. Um, He characterized the ruling on Twitter as issued from, quote, the new illegitimate 5-4 SCOTUS majority. Um, talk about the word illegitimate and what it means for someone who is pretty high profile to be describing the Supreme Court's constituency as illegitimate. Right. So legitimacy, maybe the better way to define what illegitimacy is, legitimacy is that you are rightfully doing and in the place that you're in. So you you are the rightful king. You are the rightful CEO. You're the rightful parent. Uh, the rightful owner of something. And so to be illegitimate is to say that something you're doing, something you're operating, that you're doing it uh, be, without the right to do so, that that you should not be there, you should not be doing it. And this is going back uh, to probably a number of accusations uh, of a number of the president's Supreme Court picks, President Trump's. So a lot of people are still angry about Uh, Gorsuch being nominated because it was done after Scalia's seat was open and the the Republican Senate basically ignored President Obama's nominee to that post. People are still angry because of the accusations made against Brett Kavanaugh that he was uh, still confirmed. And finally, I'm sure this is the thing he most had in mind, is that Amy Coney Barrett should not have been nominated by President Trump that close to an election. And so all of these are making the accusation that the justices that made up the majority here and that will make up majorities that I think he is worried he's going to disagree with in the future were not supposed to be there. And I, I and to be honest, as at least as a matter of the Constitution, that's just not true. All three of them were nominated and approved or in the way that the Constitution says that they can be, uh, that actually they should be. So really what he's saying is that these people were put against, uh, against what I guess you could call norms, that instead of 
what the Constitution says. There's certain rules of etiquette or something that we should follow and that those weren't followed here. But again, I, I think that's quite a grave claim on based on what you think is fair as opposed to what the Constitution says to question one of the co-equal branches of government and its legitimacy and therefore the legitimacy of the decisions it's going to be making from for the foreseeable future. All right, let's pivot and let's um, let's talk a little bit about um, what might happen in what now looks like the last, I don't know, it's 20 plus 25, uh, 45 is what's left here of um, of President Trump's term. He's He's got some kind of post-election strategy. Uh, what do you think it is? Uh, it seems that the post-election strategy is to to the degree possible, question the legitimacy of his not coming out winning in the election. And the legal strategies that have been put forth so far have really not done very well in court. They, I think they're now one for 35 as far as winning. And many of those lawsuits themselves were are not things that if they had won would have changed the result. So I, I think that a lot of his 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 strategy there, at least as far as contesting the results in some of the big states, has really just been to undermine the 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 look of of losing, the look that he didn't come out on top this time. And I think that uh, the rest of the strategy beyond his election strategy is I think you saw him pardon um, Flynn, uh, his former national security advisor, I think you're going to see a lot more of that as well. So I think a lot of this is going to be him trying to stabilize his post-presidential legacy. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. Uh, we're gonna um, we're gonna talk about family policies here in just a moment and what we might anticipate in terms of a Biden administration in relationship to uh, to policies. But let's um let's let's touch on this hot button topic first, um, Adam. Vaccines are going to be dispersed. The first ones have actually been shipped. They've arrived at O'Hare, um, so we don't have to settle this um, today because they're not going to be publicly or widely available for a number of weeks. But to what degree could the government force me to get a vaccine or force me to have my children vaccinated um, against COVID-19? This is a question I tended to put a little more hypothetically to my students a few years ago and now is obviously very upfront. And the main litigation that that will go back to is a case in 1905 called Jacobson v. Massachusetts that had to do with whether the state of Massachusetts could force people to take a smallpox vaccine. And the court in general came down on the side that it is possible for the government in certain situations to force you to take a a vaccine, especially if there is a grave health crisis, especially if you're going to be interacting with with others. And the way the the government has tended to do it so far with children is say, well, if you want to be in public schools, you have to, or if you want to participate in these other things. But uh, 
we might see some real sort of testing of that. But the precedent from well over 100 years ago at least leaves very open that the government can force you, at least with certain vaccines in certain situations, to take it even if you're not willing to. And what's interesting is is how these all things link. The opinion that we just talked about from the Supreme Court brought up Jacobson v. Massachusetts. And there seem, I think there seems to be a little bit of a debate on the court as to how far they want to push that. I think some of the justices want to say you could have a universal mandate for a vaccine. And I think there's some justices, Gorsuch was the one that I think was most pushing against this, seem to want to have a lot of exemptions. So it's going to be very interesting. So the, the argument is, is, is very possibly, yes, uh, the government could force you to do so. And, and, and the underlying idea is as a participant in society, you have some responsibility for the health and safety of others. And that if you want to participate in society with others, you have to be willing to take certain precautions for their health and safety. That's going to come up against the idea that we have a bodily integrity, we may have religious qualms with doing certain things. So how do you balance that individual liberty with social responsibility? That's the underlying question that we're really going to get tested if they start to actually mandate this vaccine. So Dr. Fauci weighed in on this. I think this was uh, in September. So this might be, these quotes might be from August, but I am reading from a, uh, from a today.com piece Um, where Dr. Fauci, Dr. Anthony Fauci said um, he would not support a nationwide mandate uh, of COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, Quote, you don't want to mandate and try to force anyone to take a vaccine. We've never done that. You can mandate for certain groups of people like healthcare workers, but for the general population, you cannot. It's simply unenforceable and not appropriate. Um, That this particular article goes on to talk about all kinds of scenarios and situations where a vaccine uh, might be mandatory for certain populations or in certain places or, you know, and so um, I do think this is going to be a conversation to watch. There are certain judicatories, um, local judicatories that are talking about vaccine mandates. Um, I think like the mask mandate, it'll be certainly be an interesting one for us to uh, consider watching and talking about. Um, And And, people will answer this question differently, like different people will answer this question differently. And Carmen, I would say that's where the real battle is going to be played out, not at the national level. It's going to be played out at the state and local level. That's where the real decisions are going to get made about whether there's going to be an attempt to enforce this or not. And I'm glad that the national government isn't even going to try. I think that's actually clearly out of their zone to even have that kind of discussion. I think that's a state and local decision to to, to balance. So that brings us to the reality that we are going to be making a transition in terms of national leadership and uh, the way even the COVID um, crisis is going to be dealt with. It does sound as if a Biden administration intends to federalize more things. They want to um, be responsible on a national level for things that have been left up to state governors um, to this point. Um, Talk with us a little bit about some expectations that you have of a Biden administration um, some some clues you think we get from the appointments that uh, that President-elect Biden is making, um, you know, subject matter areas, wherever you want to go. Yeah, and there there is the, the, the statement I'm sure many have heard in business that may are in business life that pers- personnel is policy. And, uh, and what that means mm. is who you pick 
says a lot about what you might do. And I think it's more important right now to focus on who President-elect Biden is picking rather than what he's saying he's going to do. I think that's a concrete step that comes afterward. And uh, the thing that he is most showing, I think, is twofold. One that speaks to the left, the other to the right. What I think his picks are speaking to the left is there's this divide that we saw playing out in the primaries between a more traditionally liberal wing of the party and a much more progressive, even socialist-leaning part of the party. And Biden's picks are squarely in the former, squarely in the more safely, more the tradition of people like what his his former uh, boss, uh, President, uh, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, President Obama chose, and not some of the more left-leaning Bernie Sanders. Um, uh, AOC sort of, of 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 picks. In fact, the the one can one of the candidates that the candidate that uh, Biden picked for the Office of Management and Budget. Now I know most people won't really care mm, about OMB. that. OMB, exactly. <laughs> but I will say this: it was someone that Bernie Sanders in the past, by name, criticized. So it's going to be interesting that that Biden is distancing himself from the wing of the party that. He is accused that many people are worried he's going to start leaning toward. We'll see if that holds out. For the right, what's interesting, I think, is the emphasis that they're placing on experience and the, uh, that they're picking experienced people. And that's meant as a slight against the Trump administration. And it goes into the, the Trump administration's criticism of of you know President Trump's one of his one of his very effective taglines in 2016 was drain the swamp. And the, the underlying critique of that was that the the D.C. has become too much of a bubble with a kind of bureaucratic class that switches jobs around and has a kind of mindset and follows policies distinct from what people vote for in elections. They've become their kind of own elite group. And the 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 interesting thing there is. Uh, the Trump administration at times, I, I think, was effective in that message. At other times, they sometimes struggled when it came to competently making their policies work and doing it in a way that was effective. And I think what you're sort of seeing is going to see the Biden administration, can they uh, project competency without swampiness? And that's going to be, I think, a very difficult thing to do. I think it was in, in small part a missed opportunity by the Trump administration to make their critique work better, that the Biden administration is able to make this claim. And so is experience going to make our policies work better or are they going to make them more distant from the American people? And uh, or both, actually. And I think those are things that the left and the right should be looking at as the Biden administration starts to take shape. And I think with that prism will be a good way to look at policies going forward after that. Dr. Adam Carrington, thank you as always. Blessings upon you in this uh, in this holiday season. We'll talk again with you soon. To you all as well. M M Merry Advent, I'll say. M that's exactly right. Merry Advent. Merry Advent. All right, as we uh, continue to prepare ourselves for the coming of Christ in this Advent season. We're going to take one more brief break, and then we will read from 1 John chapter 1. That's up next here on Morning for Carmen. Silent night, holy night. 
I am going to wrap up today with a question, where in the word are you today? And then with a reading from First John, I'm going to start at chapter 1, verse 1. I'd like to read through chapter 2, verse 2, if we've got time. So here we go. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children... I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. we got another hour up next. Stay tuned. Okay, I appreciate that these, uh, these conversations are resonating with you this morning. Let me encourage you to be a person whose hope is placed, set, anchored on nothing less than Jesus' love and righteousness. Spend some time today in Galatians 3.28 and consider who you are. Are you in Christ? And if you are in Christ, then you are among those to whom Paul is speaking about all the lesser things. There's a primary identity in Christ, and then there are secondary identities. Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, female, on and on. Jesus is in the foreground. Everything else is in the background. Every other marker of identity, every other appetite, every other political argument, every other uh, day and time. So I encourage you today um, to rest in that. And then I want to direct us back again to Romans 8.32. If you're looking for a verse to spend some time in, spend some time today in Romans 8.32 and consider all the things, all the things that come with Christ. So the first gift is Christ, and we're going to unwrap that joyfully. And with that gift come so many other gifts. In fact, all things, all the gifts that come with Christ. We're going to unwrap in this season of Advent and hope as we lean into Thanksgiving and Christmas. we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen. Up next, I've got Dr. Linda Mental and David Aikman. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.